Welcome to another episode of Accessibility Insights. I'm your host, Robin Christofferson. I'm Head of Digital Inclusion at AbilityNet, a pioneering UK charity with a mission to make a digital world accessible to all. In this series, I will be interrogating heroes of digital inclusion from across sectors and around the world. You can download a transcript of the podcast from www.abilitynet.org.uk forward slash accessibility dash insights. So sit back, grab your favourite beverage and let's get started. Welcome everyone. This podcast is brought to you by AbilityNet. AbilityNet's TechShare Pro is Europe's leading accessibility and digital inclusion conference. It's running online in November. That's the 15th, 16th and 17th. And you can grab your streaming only tickets or access everything with our community tickets at TechSharePro.com. I am really excited to be here with Heather Dowdy, Director of Product Accessibility at Netflix. Welcome. Thank you very much indeed, particularly as it's the crack of dawn where you are in America. Is that right? It's pretty early over here. Yeah, on the east coast of the United States. Wow, thank you so much. Well, the first question that I always put to all of my guests is what uh, beverage, hot or cold, do you have to help you get through this ordeal? I do. I do. I have my favorite uh, mug here. It's brown and black animal print stripes on it. And typically I like a hot beverage. I love tea. I'm not British, but it's one of the things that I like to introduce about myself. Um, And I'm normally drinking a green jasmine tea. Yep. Tea's my favorite tipple as well. And this is one of my favorite cups. This is a Winnie the Pooh mug, I think. Um, I get Christopher Robin a lot when people see my name written down. Um, so yeah, that's quite fitting, I think. Cool. Okay, first question. Now, this really surprised me that Netflix has been a digital first, you know, streaming company since 2007. And I can distinctly remember when the DVDs were being shipped in the post. So that seems like less than sort of 15 years ago. But anyway, um so yeah, really um, massive rise of the organization since going digital. Um, what role has the principle of digital inclusion played in the growth of your company? And, you know, do you think it's be- had an important role? Well, first of all, I'm surprised you still remember the the red envelopes, you know, with the DVDs. But um, digital inclusion has been huge for us. When you think about Netflix being a pioneer in streaming, it really, you know, speaks volumes how much our content itself and our user interface has evolved over the years to the point that other folks uh, have kind of borrowed that um, user interface for watching content. But What's been crucial is just as important as how we deliver, whether it's speed or aesthetics, accessibility um, has been a part of our mission there. And that's because of the mission to entertain the world, that global piece and thinking about how to deliver our content to people and different places, regardless of their devices. 
regardless of the language they speak, um, really speaks to thinking about inclusion early and often and throughout our history as a company. Um, we're known as an inclusive storyteller. And honestly, that's what drew me to Netflix personally. I remember it was a story about um, a, a famous TikToker, Charmé, in the United States, who had gone viral for producing content on Black American Sign Language. And Netflix had featured her. And it really caught my eye in terms of the stories that Netflix was willing to tell and to share more broadly on and off their service. And so, you know, back in the summer of 2020, when there was this global racial reckoning, um, I really thought about where I could take my talents and all of me uh, in terms of my experiences in the community that I'm connected to at the intersection of race, disability uh, and, and faith and how to really push forward. Um, in a new way. And so I was really excited to join the Netflix team. Brilliant. They must have been making progress. I mean, they must have been prioritizing inclusion for quite some time because, you know, I've been able to use the platform for, you know, years and years as a blind user. So how do you, I mean, are you aware of how significantly digital inclusion was prioritized? You know, how that progress was made within an organization because it's not a given that organizations are going to be able to sufficiently prioritize doing things in an inclusive way and have you got any advice for people that you know would want to make similar progress within their own organizations well i think it's really important to double down on what you excel at and we've come to be known for the quality of our subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing, as well as audio descriptions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that really is a curve cut effect. When you think about um, the data that we share, that over 40% of our members watch Netflix shows and movies using subtitles and over 80% of, of members uh, turn on subtitles once a month, 40% turn them on all the time. That's more than just people with disabilities yeah. who watch our content with subtitles on. And so we understood that, hey, this is an area where we're delivering quality and we really are providing accessibility um, and usability to everyone. And so that's why recently in May, we were able to double down on that investment and announce how we were expanding the languages in which we provide subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing and audio description to include a lot more languages. So currently you would be able to uh, access a, a title um, in the, the country that it was produced in. Uh, that's the language that audio descriptions would be available in, for example. So if it was a title produced in Poland, then audio descriptions would automatically be available um, in Polish for our Netflix originals. But by expanding this, the languages to include French and Italian and German for that same title, we're recognizing that lots of folks come to Netflix to watch something that they really can't watch anywhere else. And that's 
a, a title from another country. And that's because of the whole idea and the whole inclusion that we truly believe that uh, great stories can come from all over the world. And so why not provide more access um, to, to those stories in different languages? So first piece of advice is double down on what you excel in to deliver quality and make sure you're delivering it for all of your members, including members with disabilities. Um, the second thing I would say um, is really, it, it has been such a, a, a great culture in the sense that there's no fear of failure. <laughs> and that's really important. I've been in tech for over 16 years um, and that mindset, that curiosity, that learn it all mindset is, is truly how we get to some of the more innovative things. Now, I will caveat that, you know, don't try this at home if it's something where you're blocking access and creating barriers to using your service. But outside of those types of things, it's really important for uh, the, the teams to be able to come up with and experiment with what might be the new and latest thing. An example of that is recently with our um, subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing on Stranger Things, the more recent episodes and season. And uh, it was a lot more descriptive and we heard about it. Some folks in the deaf community, deaf and hard of hearing community really liked it and others really hated it. But that idea of, okay, we wanted to try something new um, and we're able to, to pivot off of that. Um, and then lastly, I think in terms of how to make progress in an organization along your accessibility journey, there are lots more resources than when I started, including um, the different accessibility maturity and evolution models that really allow you to measure how you're doing inside and outside the company. And like we tend to say in this industry, you can't change what you don't measure. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. So yeah, we've um, taken the step of creating a digital accessibility maturity model as well, which people can download and self-serve, you know, can, can go through. And it really does shine a light on all of those areas, which, you know, if you haven't really prioritized accessibility for some time and looked at all the different areas, all of the cogs and gears that are required to make you produce end products without any nasty surprises or, you know, um, impossible retrofitting, which means that at go live, you know, those products do end up going out of the door with um, serious flaws in. Um, it's the only way to go forward. That's a really, really good point. So you've really been um, in an organization of uh, significant maturity and not fearing failure, um, embracing kind of innovation in this area. That's such a brilliant message. And, you know, we would point people at Netflix to say, look, They've got an accessible UI, accessible content. You know, the, they have kind of um, stretch goals when it comes to doing things in an inclusive way. And certainly my wife is one of the people that hasn't got an impairment, but turns on subtitles at least once a month because we're watching a particular program or whatever it is, movie, where they mumble a lot. You know, <laughs> dialogue is not clear anymore. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. So, um We've been talking about globalizing content and making it accessible for the broadest groups. Um, Netflix is a global organization as well. You've got employees all around the world. So how do you prioritize 
inclusion and diversity within such a diverse organization as well as for customers of as we've been talking about within the organization um i mean we netflix has grown tremendously especially over the last three years in terms of our workforce and so We've got folks coming from lots of different places and also other companies. And these folks are coming in the door and asking, what are we doing about accessibility here at Netflix? And I think that's great. And I think that that's just a testament to the fact that more and more companies are on an accessibility journey. And so employees are used to asking that of their employer. Um, and so I've been amazed each and every month with the folks that I get to work with and meet with at all levels and roles that are super passionate about what we're doing um, internally and externally, but also really skilled in their area. And they're willing to learn um, and take that back to their teams and lead in accessibility. Uh, so that's great. And then we also have an accessibility ERG made up of employees with disabilities as well as allies. And we've been having some really great conversations there, not only about um, holding Netflix accountable on our journey, but also about what's happening in regards to disability inclusion within our in well, within our industry of technology and entertainment. And so I always find that really fascinating um, when you're able to look inside and also glean from others and other best practices externally. So has Netflix historically been quite a flexible employer and you know has the pandemic had a big big impact or were you working in a very flexible way prior to everything? going very, very weird for a couple of years? Well, like a lot of employers, there's been a shift with the pandemic, and um, I've certainly benefited from that. I joined Netflix as a remote-only employee, um, and it's been great for me in terms of having that flexibility to work remotely, and that's flexibility that not only myself, but obviously we know the disability community has been requesting for years. So it is great to see companies like Netflix embrace that. Um, there's definitely a, a hybrid uh, model for folks uh, that are located within a Netflix um, or headquarters, within headquarters or Netflix location. Um, but there's still a lot of flexibility. I think the flexibility was always there, but I think it's uh, certainly increased with the pandemic and more folks like myself who are only remote. Um, I'm also three hours ahead of many of the teams that I work with. And so it has benefited me in the sense that I get to make sure that I'm present with my family, especially my kids, seeing them off to school in the morning. Um, getting in a workout when I can before I log on, which has been super crucial for my own mental health and my own journey. Um, and then when I do travel, uh, which I do so often for, for work, um, I feel like it's a lot more meaningful because you know that you're going in in person to really continue to deepen the relationships um, that have been maintained online. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of remote working. So it's Hollywood, isn't it? The where the main yeah uh, headquarters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm not sure if I'd like to work there. I like remote. <laughs> That's good. 
Um, You're the like first to say that. Everybody else is like, <laughs> sign me up. But hey, we all should have flexibility. <laughs> three times. And the first time was, wow, amazing. And the second time was, this is a bit OTT. And the third time was like, no, we've done Las Vegas so much. <laughs> I could imagine that Hollywood <laughs> would be a little bit like that. So you're talking about remote working. I mean, have you, can you kind of put your finger on the, you know, the key benefits and challenges maybe that Netflix has gone through um, or is remote working always been kind of embedded in the organization and it's all, you know, running smoothly? Well, I think that it certainly sparked um, some, some innovation in the sense of, of thinking through how we do what we do. So an example of that is uh, this past summer, we, um, hosted several accessibility movie screenings for the gray band. And we had open uh, subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing and open audio descriptions. And we worked on those events with the disability community and organizations. But, you know, with COVID spiking some months, there were lots of schedule changes, but it was also really interesting in the different ways that we had to come up with in order to put on these events that happened in London, New York, and on Los Angeles, because we were very intentional that the audience and the fans that with disabilities that were coming out to these events uh, could also be immunocompromised. And so how do you put on this really elegant and fantastic event where you're bringing folks together, but do so in a safe way? And so um, it was a bit stressful <laughs> a couple of those months, but uh, our events and communications team learned a lot. And quite honestly, it was such a vibe. It was so well worth it uh, to have and to be with the disability community for those events. And I think that there was no better reason to bring folks together. Um, I love connecting folks, but it was all for the sake of joy. Um, and so figuring out how to deliver and delight folks, how to deliver joy and, and delight folks in new way continue to be, uh, I think, a benefit to how we're working within the pandemic. Um, on a personal level, in terms of some of the, the challenges with uh, the pandemic and new ways of working is just the whole phrase transitioning to a new normal. Mm -hmm. um, there's certainly change fatigue, whether that's whether you're working remotely, hybrid um, or or whatever. And the idea that what is normal uh, because the pandemic has impacted all of us in so many different ways, whether that's been through healthcare, racial injustice, or educational inequities, um, especially in the marginalized communities that I'm connected to, um, the Black deaf community, and as well as youth with disabilities. And so I think we continue to grapple with how best um, to move forward, but in a way that honors that everyone is at different places. And so I hope that um, the grace that we found for each other and that we're all in this together during the pandemic, I, I would hope that some of that would remain. Yeah, definitely big, big changes, but um, I think it's shown to, you know, organizations um, to the, you know, the senior teams within organizations that, you know, change can happen and it's not a disaster. And in fact, it really 
can provide many opportunities as well. So, um, so talking about screening parties, you know, if I was invited to a swanky, <laughs> posh, first viewing screening party, as a blind person, I'd like to have the option of having the audio description for people that don't know this is kind of extra voiceover extra narration which tells you, you know this person's kissing that person this person's just shot that person that sort of thing which means that you can follow the action the visuals on screen if you can't see them at all um i would want to have those you know in my ears as opposed to everybody in the room being subjected to them because it's not you know be for everyone. Similarly, at home, when I'm watching TV with my wife, I'd like to be able to maybe put my ears in and having the AD on an optional track. And that's kind of a technological um, request on my wish list. But, you know, when it comes to kind of furthering areas of inclusion for your customers, have you got any things on the, on the radar along those lines that can kind of further improve? Uh, I guess watch parties and stuff like that could offer that capability. But yeah, what have you got on your to-do list going forward? Well, it's funny because I hear that uh, feedback and that feature suggestion quite a bit um, from blind and low vision members about wanting to have sort of a private channel for audio description. For the event, for the public event, it was great that it was open because there were so many different people with disabilities, but some of which who hadn't heard of audio description or experienced it before. Um, and so I love the fact that we were all able to enjoy it together. But on a broader scale, I think that type of feature just makes me think of, you know, community. And the fact that when we watch content, we normally watch it um, and a mixed ability community, whether that's with your family or friends. And so how do we really um, cater to to that? Uh, I think it really helps, though, when we think about more people using these accessibility features. Um, we had a Wall Street Journal uh, article that kind of chronicled um, uh, recording of audio description for Bridgerton and talked about how steamy it was. Um, yeah. And all <laughs> we the- get a very, very watered down version of a lot of those scenes in AD. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And what a lot of people were surprised by uh, was that there are lots more people that are starting to watch audio descriptions that don't have a vision disability just because um, they love the juiciness of of what's the of the quality of the audio description or because that's how they process information and so we continue to see like this curve cut effect um, we can continue to see that if more and more people are using it, it makes for a stronger case uh, for the different ways in which we can deliver this and the different modalities um, and devices on which we can deliver this experience. Um, But I think that there is a huge opportunity uh, for us as a, a technology and entertainment company to really start to look at some of the other disabilities, um, particularly cognitive and, and mental health um, disabilities. Obviously, there's been a great focus on hearing and vision with subtitles and audio description, but I truly believe that there's more that we could learn 
that could help us with our user interface by really learning from other types of disabilities. Um, and I also, what's top of mind for me uh, in this role is also thinking about how we provide more opportunities for disabled talent in front of and behind the camera. Mm. We believe that stories can come from anywhere, and we're starting to see some pockets of stories uh, with characters um, and storylines focused on disability. And I truly believe that there is an opportunity to do more um, do more there. And so wherever we can, we do showcase the collection of stories that we have. But uh, more recently, we partnered with an organization called Respectability um, to create a, uh, a children's uh, TV disabled uh, creators lab that would allow for an opportunity for folks to really get the training and enter the pipeline with their own stories. And so all of that matters as much as the the features that we're producing on service is also the, the content. Fantastic, I'm aware that we're running out of time. So a couple of brief ones, if possible. Um, future then, what does the future hold for any changes in how you deliver your services? Obviously, there's been huge developments over the last 15 years already. Um, so, yeah, any kind of future plans for how you deliver your services? And is there any implications in there for accessibility or digital inclusion? Oh, I love talking about the future. Um, having previously worked in AI for accessibility, that was the goal, was to think about the future of accessibility. I think that uh, the trends on personalization will continue to be huge. There is certainly a need for it when we talk about accessibility, when we talk about really using technology to meet people where they are, um, instead of the other way around. I would love um, to, to really think about how uh, we take the features that members use today and make sure that it's always on and seamless, regardless of the device that they choose. Um, or as you mentioned earlier, the context in which they're watching in. How do we leverage technology to do that? And understanding that they are watching with their family um, or that they typically like uh, audio descriptions and how do we surface uh, a more content to them that they like. So personalization. Fantastic. Um, so, okay, now the last couple of questions. One is, um, so we have a different speaker each month and last month's was Hector Mino of Microsoft, a man and an organization that I know you know really well because you were at Microsoft and he was an ex-colleague of yours, um, director of accessibility there. Um, how he's asking you a question, which I'd like you to respond to, he's saying, at Netflix, you have loads of organization that feed content, that supply content to your platform. To what extent are you able to sort of embrace accessibility in what they're doing and empower them to uh, prioritize it as Netflix does so that you're not having to kind of own the whole picture yourself? What a great question for my former teammate at Microsoft, Hector. Um, and it's a good question because of the nuance of really thinking about the ecosystem in which we're influencing. And um, it's important when we think about how to bring others along the journey with us at Netflix. One, it goes without saying, but 
we have to make sure that accessibility is part of the business case for winning, for winning more members, um, for winning in terms of the content that people choose to watch. Because without it being part of the business case, then it, it looks like accessibility is more of charity work. Um, and so as part of winning, um, we continue to, to be the best that we can in our market. And that by default allows us to influence a lot of the suppliers and the talent that we work with because everybody wants to be part of a winning team. Um, and we're able to have more conversations or at least they're open to more conversations on what our operational guidelines are for, for success. Um, and for excellence. And so it's important to be really clear about what the non-negotiables are. And that's like the quality of our subtitles and the quality of our audio description or the non-negotiables around training. And also then to be clear on where partners and suppliers have more creative freedom, um, which is around the content that they create. So being able to be really clear about those things um, has been really beneficial for us. And, um, you know, it, it goes without saying that it allows us to make sure that we deliver quality and that others follow. And that's how you get to like really influencing and entertaining the world together. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And it will help them all progress along that, you know, journey that we're all on towards really mature, in, you know, inclusive processes within our organizations. Fantastic. So final thing then is pass on a question to our, to next month's guest, which is Natalie Tucker. She's a senior, well, she is senior accessibility lead at Spotify. Um, organization that you know has uh, become a, a very notable streaming um organization uh, just like netflix but obviously in a slightly different field but yes what would you like to pass on either a question or a comment to natalie next month well natalie and i just share our heart for for teaching others um about accessibility so i love that about uh, Natalie, and my question would be, when building an accessibility program, how should companies approach training at scale, uh, especially within innovation, innovative cultures like at Spotify, where teams could be working on something that there are no accessibility guidelines for outright? And so how do you really bring those folks along the journey and how do you train them at scale? Wow. Brilliant question. Uh, really, really good. We will put that to Natalie next month. Heather, thank you so much. Brilliant discussion. Really enjoyed it. I'll let you start your day. <laughs> thank, so thank you so much for having me. Brilliant. Thanks for listening to this episode of Accessibility Insights. If you'd like more information about how AbilityNet can help you make your websites, apps, and other digital services accessible, inclusive, and compliant with current legislation, then please head over to www.abilitynet.org.uk slash accessibility hyphen services. Thanks again for tuning in and more hot discussions on accessibility in future episodes.